There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are, we, who are you and where do you come from? Uh, I, it's, I'm Joe McGuckin and I come from Dunstree Flats. In like Summer Hill, just off the back of Summer Hill there, right. off the side of Summer Hill. I don't know whether I'm a bit like intimidated with you or not. With me? Yeah, Why? I don't know. Just cause, like, because like because I'm frightening you. Yeah, because <laughs> you're so big and muscly. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm Rebecca. Um, what, what, like, what do you mean? Intimidated? Because I don't of... know. Just because, like, obviously you're a podcaster. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is that intimidating? Do I intimidate you? Yeah, no, but I don't know, like, whether, I don't know how I feel about, like, this conversation and seeing which way it's going to go and all that, like, because yeah. you're funny, like, do you know what I mean? Ah, and I'm not. Ah, you are. Nah. You have, you made me laugh a few times, <laughs> so far, before the podcast. Before the podcast, before we actually started recording the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, um, as I was saying to you there, a lot of people came to me, and especially one girl in particular, she was saying to me, you know, she to sit down with you. I think she said, like, you have a good story about growing up in Summerhill. Um, I'd love to know what she was talking about. I don't know. Like, don't there's know. so many stories about growing up on Summer Hill. Like, I don't even know which. Like, I don't know which one she was talking about. I think the girl that you are talking about used to be my babysitter. Stop. Yeah. She was actually. She told well, me. That. Yeah, yeah, she, she said, said that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was her. Or yeah. she, she has an older sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah Erica. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I lived in the flats. Uh, I lived in Dunstree Flats, which is weird because it's a block of it's a block of flats beside two other blocks of flats. Mm. But the other two blocks of flats are called Clarence Street. And then I lived in a block of flats. They're all part of the same complex. But yeah. I lived in a block of flats that was called Dunstree Flats. For some bizarre reason. And I just kind of kind of felt left out. I was like, God, I want to be Clarence Street. <laughs> but then as I grew up, I was like proud. I was like, yeah, I'm Dunstree. I like. <laughs> Were they posher than the other ones are? I, even, I don't know. And so there used to be Rob Carr's and all sorts of stuff that used to just cut through the flats all the time years ago. And then they decided to put a big, massive gate, like we're talking a Palestinian uh, border wall, uh, just between Dunn Street and the other two, Clarence Street uh, blocks. And we were like, now we have to walk all the way out of the block of flats, up to Parton Row, up Parton Row, around the corner, just to get to the corner shop that you used to just be able to walk through the flats. And right. And get it. So you kind of felt isolated. Mm, they did that, like, because where I'm from is, like, Mofu Courts. So they have, like, courts. So they have, like, a big main road and then, like, two s- sets of rows of houses all the way down, like. Okay. So, like, and that's, and they blocked us off so you couldn't go to van. Like, so you couldn't go to silver van, so you had to walk around the long way as well to do that. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's shit when that happens. Oh, you had to climb the gate. Yeah. Which was a, a nightmare as well. Oh, I thought you were from town. No. I honestly thought you were from town. Yeah, no. Because even that song, so it's like, everywhere yeah. we go, everywhere. I thought that was a town thing. No. 
and it's not even a Dublin thing. I found out after, yeah. So when I kind of, so originally this podcast was supposed to be about growing up because we all know what, like how hard it was for your mas and dads growing up, right? But I don't think kids today understand how hard at all it was for us. Mm. So I wanted to talk about growing up. So I did the courts and it was me and my three mates and we sat around the, here and we spoke about it. And when I was talking to Paul, my husband, about it, I was like, what am I going to call it? And then I was like, I want to call it Everywhere We Go. And he was like, for what? And I was like, that song, because we sang that everywhere we went. So when I put it out, everyone, Cork, Galway and all, they're like, yeah, they know that song. Even mm. in England, they yeah, know that yeah, song. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. I'd love to know where it came from. You should do yeah. a deep dive and just yeah. figure out the roots. Of the, it's probably an army chant. Yeah. It's probably something that they... they they sang in the army like yeah, that is it that's kind of what it is like yeah. everywhere we yeah. go yeah yeah <laughs> I think it might be like, <laughs> like a drill you know like a drill thing like yeah yeah and yeah. when we were looking for i was looking for some audio for the live show that we did and i was going to get the kids to record it like singing it mm. and then that just like it was about to batter them so i was like not doing that now so <laughs> he found an audio and it was like a drill and then we couldn't use that so we had to find a different audio of mm. it but it's a bit mad yeah well yeah it's you think it's a in our city thing. I mean, Matt's from Sheriff Street. Okay, so you are a little bit. So I know a little bit. Like, now I'm intimidated. Yeah. <laughs> Sheriff Street versus Portland Row or whatever yeah, yeah. it was. Do you know what I mean? Would, there'd be more around Halloween, like between. <laughs> Sheriff were animals at uh, collecting for Halloween. Yeah. They had the biggest bonfires, all like the hands down, they were the best. And if they, if you've seen somebody from Sheriff Street and you were holding a tire, you just drop it and run for your life. <laughs> well, I would anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't put up much of a fight. Uh, when we were collecting it's mad isn't it mm. but um so she was saying to me that like she was like you have a story but again as you said you don't know what kind of story she's talking about so take it back for me how many of you's in the house and what was it like for you then growing up it was a big it was a big family so it was like a, so i lived in the top balcony of a, a flat and it was like two bedroom flat and there was five siblings and me ma and me da and then a lot of the time, my nanny would be there as well. So it was like eight of us in a in a two bedroom flat. It was like something out of a modern day Angela's Ashes. <laughs> it was it was crazy. It was chaotic in the in the house. But it was it was a. I mean, there's something about growing up in the flats that I thought was was great. Like the front door would always be open, and you'd know your neighbours, and like your neighbours would come and go. Just the old ones out on the balcony having smokes and cups of tea. You never felt like. You didn't know anybody. I only moved out to Kulak recently and I just think it's so different because the sense of community that you got from growing up in the in the flats, you felt like you felt like you were constantly on a family holiday or something. Like you knew everybody. Mm. Everyone that you bumped into on the streets, like you, you you just knew them. And you'd always just leave your front door open and you'd be chatting away and Yeah. I mean that that's uh, like again. If there's a specific story, <laughs> yeah. text her. I text her and I'd be like, "What a story, dear!" But yeah, I know what you said about that because again, when where I live, every single person, probably bar one family, was from the inner city. Yeah. So all the parents that so it was the exact same community. So I was brought up and like that. You you know you could go off and have a shower. Like you know what I mean. I'd leave my friend. I'd go to work and as a lounge girl, and she'd be asleep in bed, and I might be looking for her everywhere. Yeah. And she'd wake up, come down my stairs at twelve o'clock at night. My dad'd be like, "Where are you? Your mom's looking for you everywhere." Yeah, Do you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So like, I grew up even though it wasn't in inner city. It was an inner city community that I grew up in. Yeah. Um. But I moved out to Betty's Town, and I couldn't. I couldn't cope out there because I didn't talk to anyone. Mm. I mean, Betty's Town is that even? Is that still Dublin? No. 
Okay, yeah. isn't it? Okay, yeah. right, yeah, that makes yeah. sense then. Yeah. yeah, so my kids were born and brought to hospital, so on their passport, it doesn't say Dublin, it says loud. I thought you were going to say, it doesn't say Ireland. Yeah, it <laughs> it's not that far north. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it says loud on it, like, so, yeah, that's, like, pretty horrific for them. No yeah. offence to anyone, like, do you yeah. know what I mean? But they're not, they in their passport. The culties. Or their, yeah, their birth certificate, <laughs> the culties. So, yeah, for, so, then moving back here and being next door to me, mother-in-law, now, yeah. which has its own situation, but like, yeah, it's. I think it's weird though because doesn't some uh, you kind of look back at the flats and uh, like grown up in sort of a working class like rough neighbourhood uh, background. Through you look back through rose tinted glasses a little bit because I mean even at the start of this podcast I was saying oh there used to be like robbed cars and stuff coming in and out of the flats and 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 that's that's kind of what it was. Like I look back at fondness with I look back with fondness at the drug marches. The drug marches were like, oh, deadly, a mm. day out. Mm. But like, you, you're kind of not realising at the time that like, this is this is a family that are like, like, but, like t- there's, there's just two victims here. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. People that are being uh, kicked from their homes and their communities for drug dealing, which for most part, we're just drug users trying to figure out a way of repaying their, their debts by selling drugs. So it's just kind of a vicious cycle. And then on the other hand, you had, drug users that were just buying the drugs from the drug dealers that were selling the drugs to pay back their own drug debts. And it was just like a vicious cycle. And nobody came out ahead. Like, you're just kicking people from the homes and from their communities. And and even drug users were being kicked out of the homes. And it, it, But, you know, you look back, you look back uh, and you just kind of seen it as like, oh, day out, everyone's together. And everyone's mm. just like... Uh, Singing songs like yeah. you know, like, what do we want? You weren't thinking. It's it's just these like these army drill march songs that you're mm-hmm. just kind of like. This is a cool sense of community, and it is a cool sense of community mm. when a group of people get together to do anything. Mm. It's a cool sense of community, but it's also a weird kind of mob mentality that you that you're actually part of. There was a time, actually. This it's it's just coming to me now. There was a time when I was out playing with my friends and my friends. Da was uh, heavily involved in the IRA at the time and there was a drug march and I can't remember where we marched it because it was only, I only have a young memory of it and I was just a young child at the time but me da, me da not me da my friend's da came to his son and says we're going on a march are you coming with us and he's like yeah yeah you coming Joe and I was like yeah alright and I remember marching up a hill it feels like it was Mount Joy Square or somewhere like mm. that kind of Georgian or Victorian buildings and they marched into this office building and I was like this is mad we're just going into an office building that we're not supposed to be in and you know you're just kind of excited by it as a child but then I remember there was a, a bloke that was in the march and he went into the building as well and he was wearing his uh his uh his bike helmet like his, his bike helmet mm. and he went into the office I swear I couldn't be more than eight or nine and it, it, it scarred me it looked in the sense that still sticks with me, but he took his bike helmet off and then just start battering some fella with the with the bike helmet, and then your man eventually ran, got away from it, and ran out, and then the they hung some sort of flag out the window. Now this is just kind of I'm struggling to piece all this together as a memory, mm-hmm. but it's de- it's like a core memory there that's that's there for me. And again, just like looking back through rose tinted glasses and realizing, hang on, that that fucking shit wasn't normal, like. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, it's weird now being an adult, kind of looking back at, at growing up in that sort of environment, 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but like, do you also not think that we probably need that now? Like, uh, no. In what sense? In like, what's like in the communities now, the drugging is even worse than what it was back then. And they're getting involved in it younger and younger. Like, I have to say, I'm fairness, and I know you have a son, but I'm so happy I have girls. Yeah. Because I'd be terrified. Yeah. Of having a son and them getting involved in that. Yeah. Or are you, is that not even on your radar? No, it absolutely is. Mm. It 100, 100% mm. is. Like, 100% it is. Like, it's so prevalent. And do you know what it is, though? This, this time around, drugs. So back then, mm. if you were on drugs, it was a different kind of drug uh, epidemic back then as well. It was mostly heroin. Now it's mm. cocaine. Uh, but drugs seem a little bit more accepted now than mm. it did back then in society. Like, if you... You know, you go to the local for a few points mm. and I'd say 80% of the lads there are going to the back room and sniffing cocaine. Yeah. Like, mm. it's crazy. It's, it's, it's mad. Is so it it's a different kind of, yeah. it's a different thing. Like, it's not concerned mothers and priests and, mm. and counsellors and the IRA trying to, like, fix the, the community. It's almost living with the enemy now. It's like, we're trying to figure out how do we coexist with this this thing mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah no and I agree because as well what kind of heroin did on the body for people so like that horrible world junkie mm. um, that people shouldn't be using anymore do you know what I mean it's, it's someone in, it, like and only through the podcast I've learned like how that we shouldn't be using words like that anymore and mm. um, but like t- you seen it so you knew what someone who was on heroin looked like yeah 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 you don't yeah. know what someone who, who's on coke what they look like anymore yeah but I do feel that there should be some like I don't know I don't know there's is the vigilante march of Jesus Christ and them inciting something here like do you know what I mean they were like <laughs> she said it let's get out and riot but like do you know what I mean like cause how do you stop them because the lads are fearless now again it's hard because I feel like everyone knows somebody that's taken mm-hmm. taken drugs and they can I mean, do you march against your mates? Like, it's, yeah. it's, I don't know. I feel like it's the majority. I feel like it's people on coke that would be marching on people that aren't on coke yeah. and take drugs. <laughs> so, Here you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And also, yeah, so there's people profiting off it as well. Um, that would, there's people profiting off the drug industry now that would have um, been marching against it back then. So you don't have the, the vigilante uh, activity mm. that you had back then. And also, I th- I feel like the sense of community is gone. Mm. I feel like everyone was looking after their community and the people in the community. Uh, that was that kind of mentality. But now I feel like there is no real community. As m- well, there is a little bit, but I do feel like everyone is kind of shut off and in their houses and on their phones. And that's their world now. It's not sitting on the the balconies. It's not communicating. Mm-hmm. It's not going to the community centres and talking about the issues in the community. And mm-hmm. they don't really care about the community. They just kind of care about Instagram, Facebook and stuff like that. Mm. So you don't have that desire to fix a problem. Um, also, there's a, like a weird kind of selfishness that's creeped in. Mm. I feel I don't know like I, I'm just a fucking comedian at the end of the day <laughs> but I feel like there's a weird kind of selfishness and people are just looking after themselves and their families mm. and they're like okay once do you know what if I can just take care of my kids that's my job done um, come home from work door shut that's see it, you yeah. later yeah mm. yeah. do you feel like would you like you're in Kulak now um, would you go, like to be back in town well my ma's still in town and mm. uh, my brother and sister are still in town I'm I'm still in town a good bit, but I don't live in town. Mm. But 
I would like to be back in town because I know everybody there and I feel like that's kind of where I, I feel like that's my home. Mm. I feel like when I'm in Kulak, I'm in someone, I'm in someone else's house. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were sleeping over in someone's house mm. and you just didn't, you didn't want to go to the, the fridge and pick something out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're in someone else's house. That's yeah. how I feel like, that's how I feel kind of being in Kulak. You know really? what I mean? I feel like I'm in someone else's house and I'm hungry at two in the morning. But I don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to wake anyone up. You don't want to wake anyone up. That's yeah. mad. How long are you there? Uh, three, four years. You still feel like years. that? Yeah. That's yeah. mad. Yeah. And yeah. then when I go into town, I'm like, ah, right, these are my dirty streets. Yeah. Like, there's a lot to not like about town. It's probably Stockholm Syndrome, is it? Probably. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's me ma still in there. Oh, yeah, no, I'd like to be, I'd like to still be in town. But then also, it is nice to kind of, it's a lot more peaceful, I think, out in Kulak, which I was surprised to discover. Really? Because when I was moving out to Kulak, I kind of felt like I was moving out of the country. <laughs> I know you said you moved to Bettytown, but that's where I felt. I genuinely, gen- when I moved out to Kulak, <laughs> you know the long time, the Lido down yeah, in yeah, yeah. North France. Yeah. When I was, on my last day in uh, the inner city, I went in and I said a heartfelt goodbye. I was like, this is, this is the end for me. Because you know? I went there for like 25 years. I was like, I, uh, I'm going to fucking miss this. What was I'm your order? It, it used to be a foreign one with chicken, but then when the spice bags came in, oh, stop the lights. Spice bag curry sauce and long time, not trying to do the best. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's uh, nowhere's come close. It's so good. I've been scouring Kulak for a nice spice bag, <laughs> and I cannot find one. For love or money, Tank Han up in prize with a lot of them like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I yeah. I can't do a spice bag, but like a lot of them down there will have like a Tank Han. Oh, do you yeah. know where St. Martin's Pub is? The prize of pub. Is that with the buddy cup yeah. thing in front of it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So the one there, that's supposed to be good. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's I might have tried it. I might try it. I, might I didn't like it. Like it. Yeah. So when you're like driving back into town or whatever, like do you hit a point in your like, Or is that just not you? Yeah. So there was four corners for me and that was like my little home. Do you know, uh, the four corners would have been the five lamps up to the Sunset Pub. Mm. That's now an off license. Mm. Up to... The uh, the canal, and then the canal at the other end, mm. uh, where the bridge is, the bridge yeah. at the canal, and then the bridge. At, so that was like my four corners. Me and we'd get like thirty or forty kids together, lads, young fellas, girls, years ago, and we just have a gigantic game of hide and seek, and you play it all day, and you'd be looking for people. They'd just mm. be in the house. They'd just go <laughs> into the house, like that's where to be hiding. Uh, but it was just great. That, I, I used to, I used to love that. That was amazing. Yeah, you look back with fondness. Yeah. What was school like for you? School was, um, I don't know, it was kind of a, I was a dark without the intelligence. Like right. I was like a, a nerd, but I don't know, I, I was, I, don't, I wasn't, I wasn't good. It's especially in secondary, I wasn't good. I mm. didn't, I really didn't want to, I really didn't want to take part in in school I didn't want to finish it my two older brothers never finished school and I was the third kid mm. so I felt obligated to finish mm. and do me leaving there just to kind of give me ma some sort of sense of pride I was like oh dummy job I'm one of them <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I used to go on the Mitch all the time I used to not do my homework and the teachers would hate me and and then in primary school I, I wasn't I wasn't athletic either and I didn't do any sports I didn't I don't know I didn't really fit in anywhere anywhere even outside of school I didn't really fit in where I wasn't one of the 
the Sunday boys. Do you remember the Sunday boys? Yeah. Like you called them the Sunday boys because they'd be wearing their Sunday best. They'd always right. have spotless clean runners and lovely new clothes and spiky hair when spiky hair was popular. Mm. And you'd be like, I wasn't one of them. Right. And I wasn't a goth or I wasn't a, a geek or I wasn't, I just didn't really, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. Mm. And then my group of friends that I did eventually kind of click with, uh, they were kind of the outsiders there. The awkward bunch of friends. How long did it take you to click in with them? Um, I, I'd say about 16. Right. And then I felt like the cool one of that group. <laughs> I kind of came into myself then because, yeah, they didn't, they didn't. I used to always watch American Pie and I wanted to have house parties like right. that. I was like, oh yeah, Dad, I want to get everyone together. And uh, I think it's a big part of me personality now that I want everyone to have a good time and I want to be the reason okay. for everyone having a good time. Um, Why do you feel you're like that? I think it could be because, I don't know, it's a weird kind of, to, to feel a sense of importance or to feel, a, to have a role, to feel like I have, to have a purpose kind of, I think it's, like I'd be, if I was in a pub and there was like six people and we were all out drinking, I'd be the last person to leave because I wouldn't want the person that was there before me to be the last person to leave. Does that make any sense? That you didn't want... To my own detriment, like I'd, yeah. get, I'd get pissed, pissed drunk just to make everyone feel comfortable just so they could stay and have as good a time as, as they can. Because if I if left early... I'd feel like I'm ruining the party. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get that now, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know why I have that desire to just make, to be the person that makes people happy. Did you have to be that person in your home? Um, I think I might have, yeah. Now that you say that. I think, uh, yeah. Because I was... I wasn't the youngest child, I was the middle child, but for a long time I was the youngest child. And I felt like I was, I was, I was a mammy's boy, but I'd always be crying and fucking whinging. And I don't know, but, but my ma, I think, I don't know. Yeah, I used to be crying and fucking whinging all the time. Like when my ma'd go to the pub and somebody was babysitting when... Your Beth, woman was, when, yeah. Beth, when Beth was babies and she'd probably fucking tell you, you wouldn't stop fucking crying. <laughs> and I'd be bleeding, oh, I want me mad, I want yeah. me mad. And it'd just be, I think after that, after I kind of grew up from that sort of mentality, I think there was like a weird guilt that I made me ma miss out on things. So I kind of wanted her then to be happy. Me dad and me ma were always kind of fine. Me dad was... My dad was an alcoholic and they'd be fine or whatever. So I kind of feel like I had a role to kind of make me ma happy because she kind of gave me a lot of comfort. I don't know. It's a really, it's really fucked. Like it's mm. like, it's there's so much to unpack. Mm. I've, I've gone to, so I, I was fucking diagnosed with, with PTSD uh, just from shit in my childhood and stuff like that. Wash it. And then it just, just shit like, um, like I said, my dad being an alcoholic and st- the stuff in the house and my brother passed away and, and, uh, s- s- issues with, um, uh, my four son's birth and just other things that, 
that are self-inflicted as well like you know so so a doctor diagnosed me with PTSD and I wouldn't have even known I have PTSD I don't know what that is I don't mm. know what part of me is the PTSD what I'm feeling mm. is PTSD but I was diagnosed with PTSD and after that I tried to go to a, a counsellor and I w- it was during COVID and stuff like that and I went from counsellor to counsellor to counsellor and I have I've stopped now, but like I wanted to unpack all that stuff. I do feel, and I feel like even when you're asking questions there now, I feel like, oh shit, what? Like when you're saying why, I, I never, I never think of why. I just only say the facts, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Yes, I guess sometimes there's, there's, I don't, I don't even know the answers. I just know the, the information right now. And do you want to know the answers? Um, I. Not actively. I mean, I think it'd be nice to know, but I, I don't want to seek the answers. Do you know? It'd be nice to have them, but I feel like I'm content where I am. And it's like, there's a fear maybe of mm-hmm. of opening a can of worms or unraveling mm-hmm. the threads that you don't know where it'll lead to. Mm. That's tough. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. It's kind of like, um. So when I went seeking out them counselors, like it was in a bad point points in my life, but I'm okay now, mm. so I don't want to rock the boat. Mm. But it does feel like if a wave does come yeah. along, then the boat will be unsteady. Like mm. I don't, I don't feel prepared for another wave. But I'm still just afraid to fucking mm. unpack it. You know yeah, what I mean? You have to be strong enough to be able to handle. What's gonna come? And right now, you don't feel. No, no, yeah, mm. you don't. You don't know. Mm. So it's a weird thing to to be aware of the potential of a mental breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> and do you think it'd be a mental breakdown? Um, I think it would be an emotional breakdown. Mm. I don't know if it would be a mental breakdown. Um, yeah I think that I mean is is it the same thing is an emotional breakdown the same as a mental breakdown I don't know because it depends on what you can handle yeah you know what I mean can you if you can handle it it's an emotional breakdown if you can't handle it maybe then it's a mental breakdown yeah do you know what I mean like I've shit in my life that people say to me you know ask the questions I don't want to fucking ask a question I don't yeah. want to know grand yeah yeah exactly yeah do you yeah. know what I mean yeah like you know what I mean and people say to me but is that true did that happen and I'm going I think so mm and someone said, but where was such and such when this happened? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what it is as well? So partially it's ignorance is bliss. Mm. But also, if I try dig deep enough, then I'll find the cause. And maybe I don't want to know the cause because there's people that... So I feel, I feel like my dad is a big cause of a lot of the PTSD, even though I have no hatred towards him whatsoever, like nothing but love for him. And he's passed now. And I don't want to think of him as mm. a bad person. I think uh, you could throw me mad into the mix as well there. And I don't want to think of her negatively mm. because I love her. And I think she's been through hell herself. Mm. And there's no way I want to see her in, mm. a, in a bad light. Uh, my brother, who's passed, I, I could, I, you could, he's cause, he's part of the cause of why I feel the way I feel. But because I don't want to think ill of him as well because he's passed. Mm. And like, I, it's like, it does, people that are alive as well, I just don't want to think of them negatively, even though they may have affected me negatively. Mm. 
And again, that might be the selfish part of me trying to make other people, putting other people before myself. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. It kind of sounds like I'm saying, I'm so selfless that I don't even care about myself. Mm. <laughs> mm. But that's not, that's not what I, that's not what I mean. Like it's a. Like, do you think like less sleeping dogs lie? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it's the rock the boat and don't rock the boat in calm waters. But there's a wave coming. Like, don't wake sleeping dogs, but they could fucking wake up by mm. themselves and mm. by during the arse then. You're not mm. prepared for it. Yeah. Uh, so. And is that what you did the counselling to try and be prepared for? Well, to try fix myself. Like, I went, I, 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 so I done the Talking Bollocks podcast and I opened up a lot on that. And when I, when I came off the Talking Bollocks podcast, I never listened to that episode because I opened up and talked about a lot of stuff that uh, I wasn't really, not that I wasn't comfortable about it, but I, I'm comfortable about talking about anything. But I felt as though, shit, does that just sound like I used me past as a show pony to fucking, to, yeah. to do you know what I mean? Mm. And I'm, I, I think even now in this conversation, there's a fear of me, um, there's a fear of me feeling like I'm doing that as well. Like, you know what I mean? Just rolling out. Yeah. Rolling out me negative past. But I think just in the name, in the case of context. Mm. Uh, so I don't want to say this for pity or not. Just to kind of explain mm. um, how I'm how I'm feeling. So when we, so I, I tried to, I, I went through a bad place in my head over something that, I done that and there was okay don't say if you don't if you're not I'm, I'm, com- I'm yeah. comfortable I'm mm. comfortable I'm just trying to figure out the best way to order I presented myself to the Mata hospital because I wanted to um, harm myself uh, irreversible harm to myself and off the back of that then I wanted to go get counselling to try unpack it all and I didn't accomplish that. Mm-hmm. But I got myself to a point where I I felt, I got myself to a point where I was comfortable enough being me. And there was a lot of support around me. My missus was supporting me. Um, but I definitely feel like at a point in my life right now, as I'm recording this podcast, and I could listen back to this in a year, I feel like there's a, um, this is a point in my life where I just haven't figured me head out. That makes sense? Yeah, no, it does. And there is a fear of, there's a fear of me, I'm afraid to talk about everything because I do fear making other people seem like bad mm. people, mm. even though it's just explaining my life experience. That makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of non-answers. I feel like I'm, no, I'm not giving you, know, you an answer here. No, but you know you are because like I think you are not the only person who feels that way. Like we have so many people who said they did bad shit, but they're actually lovely. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my dad was a drinker growing, me growing up. He's not a drinker anymore. He's not able for it. Mm. But growing up, he was a drinker. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And I know, like my brother's just come out of rehab and for his, for his alcoholism. And I know... His issues are my dad. Yeah. I know it. I know it, but he was down the curve since he was 11 years of age. That has a fucking lot to do with it. 
yeah. the current and what happened down there. And he'll never. He said he, he said to me today, "I want to sit down with you," and I'm I'm not ready for that conversation. Yeah, you're you're so not I'm ready not. for it. No, no, no I'm not okay. ready. Like he left their house when he was eleven years of age yeah. to go to Cora to be a jockey, and he came home. Like he came home, I think, when he was twenty-one. And like you know, him with a few drinks in him, he used to say things. And mm. you know, like he's like worse than the Catholic Church. Do you know oh what god. I mean? Oh my god! And like, so he said, and then he like he'd say, "There's resentment there because he didn't make it." Because, mm. you know, my dad thought he was going to make it. He was going to be the, you know, ne- next to whatever, Lester Pig or somebody, whoever they are, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so he's resentment and now he's gone through all that and he's like, I want to sit down with you. And everyone's saying to me, sit down with him. But I can't. On a podcast? Like? Yeah. Oh my God. But I can't. Because I'm not prepared for what he's about to say. Yeah. Because he could say something about somebody in my life. Mm. Or even like my dad, like my dad's great. My dad's fucking brilliant. Like we lost with my dad over the years, but he was a hard man. Yeah. Seeing things, he was a hard man, he was bollocks. Do you know what I mean? But now he's, he's the best thing in the world. Yeah. So you have to kind of go, do you want to bring stuff up again? Do you want to go through all that? Do I want to, like, you know what I mean? Like you had the fear of your dad, and you probably had it as well on the road. Yeah. And your dad coming back from the pub. Yeah, and you'd be like, "Jeremy, it's make fucking show you." You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you, like it's 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 a weird it's a weird fucking. You could be. I remember me ma and me dad would would go out to the pub, and I think remember I say I, I'd cry all the time mm. because oh, ma, I wanted to come back. I think it's because I knew that when they'd come back, it would be, it wouldn't be a nice experience. Do you know what I mean? Like I would I'd go to bed and I'd I'd never sleep i'd never be able to sleep because i knew then that at like half two three o'clock they'd be falling into the door pissed drunk and and arguing or if they weren't arguing they'd be singing and in a good mood and then it would turn into an argument or if they were in a good mood the fucking telly would go on to be blared and blade music until six six in the morning and that's a good case scenario Mm. and that that would just do your head in but it's when it was bad and there would be fucking, I don't know, argue like they'd come in and you'd hear them downstairs and the fights would be escalating and escalating and arguments would be building and building and growing and growing. And it'd be, it would have been a lot of that. A lot of that growing up. And then, and then when my eldest brother, he, when he got older and stuff, there was addiction, there was addiction problems then with, with him and then he would have got involved in the arguments and it was just, it was just constantly hell. And then my brother John, he was my only, my only bit of comfort and he was so, he was, my brother John was so fucking, so strong. I don't know where he got it from. Like he's only a few years older than me, but he, he was so protective over, over me. And I'll never, I'll never forget that sense of security, even though it was a, a, a skinny safety blanket, a very, very light safety blanket. Like I just, like if my ma was sober and my dad come home drunk, I'd, I'd run to my ma. Mm. But if my ma was drunk and my dad came home sober, I'd be like, John, John, fuck's sake. And then we'd lock ourselves in the bedroom and then they'd be building the fucking, the bedroom door open to fucking get them out and, yeah, it was just, it was mad, yeah, so all that, like, there's, 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 there's detailed stories in there that, that I wouldn't go into right now, mm. but, like, there's detailed stories in there that definitely play a factor in, in why I feel the way I feel, 
uh, that they've made you the person you are mm. today. Do you like the person you are today? Um, I don't. It depends on what day you'll ask me. <laughs> today you'll ask me. Mm. Um, do I like the person I am today? Mm. He's all right. Mm. He's all right. Like he's not. I don't think. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think it's in my nature to never really be happy and content. I'm never satisfied. So I don't think I'm even satisfied with myself. And yeah, no, I don't know. I'm never. I'm just a. I'm guilt ridden by nature. <laughs> even if I didn't do anything like mm. that, I'm, I'm always apologizing. Like, do you know what I'm doing? I'm always looking for affirmation. I'm always looking for approval. I'm always looking like. Even I, I know for a fact that after this podcast over, I'll be like, "Is that all right? Is that all right?" Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah, always yeah. looking for the the approval I want. And again, that's the same thing. Like I always want everyone to be happy or satisfied or have a good time. Like, mm. but that does stem back from your your being a kid and what you yeah. want to do. Yeah, and like so for me, like I am very mentally strong. And, you know, so it takes a lot for me to fucking go down. But I've had to be because of, like, everyone says to me, you should do, someone should interview you. And I'm like, no fucking chance in that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but I've gone through stuff, like, mad stuff that you, like, basically, I'll say it here to you, but I have never said this to anyone. But, like, I don't know if I've ever said this to other well, my friends now. But, like, there's, there was a rumour that I was left outside Mittens and Northside. Right, you know, you know the butchers on north side. Oh yeah, yeah. So as a baby, I was left there, right, and some woman found me and brought me home, right. That was the rumor, and that was what everyone say. Your man left you outside mittens, right? <laughs> but uh, it ended up being that it didn't happen. It was that the woman, my ma was walking me. I was premature. She had postnatal depression, horrific disease, and she was walking me and these young were at a woman's bin and she was going out, coming out, giving out to them and she heard me crying. And my ma said, oh, she said, let's see your baby. And my ma started crying. And I was left with that woman for eight years. But I don't know if that's true, right? You still don't know if that's true? So that's, that is what happened, right? And I remember coming home on my, on my Holy Communion, like I went and I got, and I ended up sleeping, I was sleeping in the boys' room, my four brothers and sleeping in that room. But like Paul just said to me, I don't know whether that really happened. Like, did that really happen? But I actually can't ask that question. If that, like, because that's, that's what I was told. But I still, I don't want to unpack it. I'm like, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. like, do I want to unpack this? Do I want to go to my ma? And then, like, people say to me, my mother-in-law said to me, like, where was your fucking dad? Like, where was your dad? Like, your ma was in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And your ma left you. Then had another baby straight after you. So, and then, like, I, I used to say to my ma when I was younger, I'd say, and she'd say, no, you ain't always, dear. But, like, I was. Like, I remember getting, this is like, I can't even believe I get into this with you. Like, I remember, like, she was a, our daughter was a dressmaker. And what happened was she said to me, Ma, our daughter just lost a boy. So the house was ready for a baby. So my Ma left me in this strange woman's house. Like, left me. Your Ma, and... Yeah, so like I had two mummies growing up then, do you know what I mean? So I remember, so this is like, so my mum won't even ever listen to this and like some people are going to be like, what the fuck, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, so she, and it's only because I, 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 I feel it from you, Joe, I'm feeling, like I'm feeling that, 
you know, from you, and we're probably quite similar like that. I don't want to unpack it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether I'm ready to unpack it, but I am strong enough that I can say, it, like, well, I, I actually can't. I can't ask. I can't say, is that true? Yeah. Like, how long was I left? Give me the specifics. Give me the facts. Yeah. How long was I left for? But what I do remember through my life was that two things. The daughter, the daughter was a dressmaker. She'd make me beautiful clothes. When I was going to the house where the boys lived, which was my brother's, those clothes came off me. And I was just throwing any clothes, was throwing at me, like going over to the house because she didn't want me to ruin me good clothes. But also, she'd wrap me up in Dunn's stores bags, you know, when it was raining. Yeah. She'd sell a tape to stores bags on me all over, <laughs> all over my head and everything and send me over to my mass. So, like, it was like, it's so the story I told is that I went back to my Holy Communion. But I did live with that woman for all them years. But can you remember her? Yeah, like, I remember her. And like, she was in my life, like, she was in my life up until she died, like, in the end. Oh, okay. Like, so. And like I'd say to me, man, I don't mind her. Like, don't mind her. That's not true. But my ma's actually never, ever given me the facts of, did I stay there for one year? Did I stay there for two years? Like, yeah, how long yeah, did I yeah. stay for? And you don't want to ask? Nah. I don't think I don't think I want because I'm actually very content in my life, and we have a great relationship now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where growing up, I didn't have a great relationship with her. I fucking yeah. hated her. Do you know what I mean? But now I'm like, so why rock the boat? Yeah. Do you know like what I mean? Less sleeping dogs like yeah. Well. But like, it's your story. Like, it's your it's your life. Wouldn't it be nice to know? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to know? I don't know. Even if you could like ask these questions and get her to write it down, stick it in a little time capsule or something, yeah. so you have the answers later on. Yeah, but then if I, what would I want if I want to kill her? Then I'd be like, fucking, I want to have like, and then she's dead, and there's nothing <laughs> I can do about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> You could write. It, that's what I'm saying. If she wrote it down, then you'd always yeah. have the answers. Yeah. I don't know. It's, that's that's a that, that's a yeah. <laughs> that's a fucking mental story. Yeah, and like so, pe- and people don't like know. Like people don't. Some people know. Some people don't know it. And then like everyone's like shut down. So people like anyone who will ask for the conversation about my life. That's it in a nutshell. Like yeah, that, me, me ma left me outside mittens in outside. <laughs> and some woman took me and brought me home. But no, actually, it was a different story. Like, but yeah, like but I guess laggins like got me mates and all over to be like shut Yeah, ma left you outside mittens. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so following on them from that and I told you I don't talk on these podcasts but you're making me talk um, <laughs> probably because I'm not saying that yeah, no, yeah, but yeah early I, I get it I get exactly what you're saying and I know as I said to you I think there's a lot of people out there unfra- afraid to unpack shit yeah because they're not mentally able or they just don't they're not arsed some people aren't arsed yeah yeah I mean, I don't. People, I, people call you like brave for for opening up, and I feel like it's not when it's it's just kind of telling a story. It's telling an anecdote. It's not really it's not really brave. I feel like it's more selfish. Kind of that's kind of how I felt after telling my story. People were saying, oh, he's so brave for speaking out and stuff like, and I'm like, I don't know, uh, is it, or is it selfish? Like, I'm not just telling my story, but I'm telling other people's story from my point of view. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. And that's a thing because your memory is not your brother's memory. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And that's very difficult. And like, because I've had, as I said, with my brother who's just gone through it, like I've had conversations with him and he's like, that didn't happen, Rebecca. Mm. And I was like, no, I did. And he's like, no, I didn't. This is what happened. Yeah. So, and uh, does your brother, like, does he, is he, like, no, obviously I'm not going to ask that question. Um, so, 
Can you, I ask about what like, is does he like is is he a strong stronger than you? Is he still strong today? I don't think he. I don't think he was ever strong. I don't think he was ever strong. He just kind of had to be protective over me, his his little brother, when everyone else was kind of like they when everyone else was, you know, when my dad, my dad be drunk, my ma be gone, and then Jay would be me eldest brother. He'd be like whatever out, out of his head or drunk or whatever he was. Uh, so my brother just kind of by default fell into that. Into that role, I don't think he ever chose to be strong. He just had to be, or else, like, what's the alternative? I, I, you just, just have fucking have to be. Especially seeing how scared I would be. Um, again, I'm speaking for him, but like, I would to be, to be times, like, my brother, me two, me two eldest brothers would get into fist fights and to be bloody and 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 bleeding and fucking. Uh, there was a there was a time then. They had a big fight and like Jay, my eldest brother, nearly knocked John unconscious and he was like dazed and drowsy and stuff like that. And Jay was always kind of threatening suicide, which is eventually how he passed in the end. But he was always threatening suicide and he went onto the balcony then and he was hanging out. He, he put himself over the balcony like because he felt guilty in himself. For punching and nearly knocking John out And probably seeing the distress that I was in as well And I'm just screaming Screaming at the top of my lungs Like stop, stop And then Jay starts crying and stuff And then he, he hangs himself over the balcony And he's like trying to He's about to drop off um, And John is like dazed And confused and stuff And he's trying to Hold on to the sleeve of his arm And like trying Trying to pull him back over To this side And I'm screaming And I, I run into me Next our neighbours Which is A huge Thing with the com- Sense of community That I, that I was saying Like me My neighbours were like Me aunties Or me cousins Or whatever So I ran into me Next our neighbour um, And Banged on the door This was at Two in the morning And then she came up she she came out with her husband and seen what was going on and they grabbed him, my brother, and pulled him back over. And uh, the ma then took me and brought me into the brought me into the house with her. And then that was the last of my memory of of that that night. But like that scared me, and I can only imagine, or I can't even imagine how John feels. After that And I feel like I get a chance to kind of tell my side of the story And he never re- he never gets a chance to To tell his side of the story And I never seen my brother John cry until The night of uh, Jay's funeral And then that was the first time I ever seen him crying It was that night And it was like for five seconds mm. <laughs> He let himself go for a minute and then but like I can, it does. There must be a lot going on inside my brother John's head, and my youngest brother as well. Who wouldn't ha- like? He sees my youngest brother, so he's seen the least of all of this stuff. Uh, but he struggles to cope when when things are going bad. Um. Yeah, like he wouldn't be open about his emotions or explaining or articulating how he's feeling or 
it's a it's a weird it's a weird dynamic. It was a weird upbringing, and it's yeah. I just it's it's a it's a weird kind of kind of perspective, and that's one incident. Like you know what I mean? There's many other incidents where the last memory I have of my brother Jason, he used to get uh, drunk and whatever intoxicated on drugs and he came up to the house he used to always come up to the house and steal something he'd fucking take something and then leave and then mm. steal it and then come back and apologise a couple of days later and then it would be a cycle like that it was a cycle for about 10 years and we were fucking so pissed off at my ma for always accepting him back will you stop fucking accepting him back he's just always going to keep robbing the fucking house he's a, little, he's a fucking scumbag and it was bleeding so much hatred for him and he came up to the house then and he, he took my bike off the balcony and he brought and I was like fucking hell and it was gone then there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I went to the pub that night. And then he came into the pub that night. And I said, what the fuck are you doing here? Get the f- don't let me fucking see your face around here. I'll bleed and box the head off you. Fuck off. Get away from me. Rob me bike. And he was like, I didn't rob you a bike. I'm like, you fucking did rob me bike. Will you f- get the fuck out of here now? And then he was like, oh, Joe, I only want to stay for a drink. And there's this real pity and sympathy about him that, that stays with you now. Like, now that he's gone. Every moment there's that pity that I hated at the time. And now I just kind of wish I 
said, oh, okay, don't worry about it. I can give him a hug or something like that. So there's always that kind of pathetic, pitying thing that he done that you hate to say, don't fucking give me that. Get out of my fucking face. And he was like, all right, sorry, Joe. And then he left. I'm like, bleeding, sorry. You robbed me fucking bike. And then I went home that night. And then he came home that night. And I told the story before. Uh, and then my brother corrected me. And then I, I'm after forgetting his correction. So I'll tell <laughs> what, the origi- what I thought the original story was. Um, it's it's a it's a it's an emotional story for me, but I'll, I'll persevere. I went home then that night, and then Jay came home after me about an hour later, and I says, "You fucking come back here, will you? Get the fuck out of here! Don't you fucking ever come back here ever? Get fuck off before I dance all of you." And I, I was physically pushing him out out of the house then, <clears throat> and then I was uh, pushing him down the balcony saying get away get away and then he was like oh joe please let me stay let me stay because it was raining and i said no you can fuck off you can stay whatever your bleeding junky friends are or whatever saying things that i shouldn't have said and uh <clears throat> sorry take your time that'll sound like mm. taking a little piss on the <laughs> podcast and then uh he was shout he shouted down He's like, Joe, please. Like, he was down at the bottom of the balcony, down, uh, not bottom of the bottom of the flats. <clears throat> and he was at the bottom of the flats and he was saying, Joe, don't even have me coat or that. And I went up to the bedroom and I, I grabbed a bunch of his clothes. And my brother John was there as well. I grabbed a bunch of his clothes and I just fucked them out over the balcony in the rain. And uh, he... It was just soaking wet and he was drunk as well and kind of stumbling around and uh, I'll, I'll never forget it and my brother John will never forget it like he remembers it and it, it's 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 a uh, take your time man. he just picked up his jacket and just like he just went like that and whipped whipped his jacket like before to put it on him he whipped his jacket and just like loads of rain came off and then he put his jacket on and then just like stumbled off. And it was the most uh, sad, kind of pathetic image. And then he walked off and that was the last time that I ever got to got to see him. But that's not when he passed. Like then he went to rehab after that. I mean, my seen him a few times and stuff. Then he went to rehab and uh, after rehab, he went to a house to live with. Uh, these are the two lads that were in rehab and they all relapsed together um, and uh, uh, he was found then in, in the house. Uh, How old was he? He was 29. And in my head, I always think of him as a lot older than me. Like, he, he was always me, me bigger brother and he was even older than John so he was like way old. In my head. And then when I turned 29, I was like, how the fuck was he only 29? And he died. Like, well, I'm 31 now. Like, he never even seen his 30s. That's, it's just a mad fucking. Mm. Is that where your guilt sits? A huge, huge, huge part of that. But you are going to have to work on that. And because that, you couldn't have helped him. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's that and, like, it's, 
when he so when he when he was gone, he went to rehab, and we're like, all right, okay, great, he's gone to rehab mm-hmm. again, like, and it's not gonna work again, and my man's gonna take him back again, and it's gonna be the same fucking cycle. So we didn't even we knew he wasn't gonna succeed, and we still didn't want to take him back. So instead of him coming back here to the house to the flat to let the cycle continue, like I'd let that cycle continue a million times over again, or I don't know what happened. So instead of him, and that's me ma feels, me ma must feel that guilt so much. And I don't think she ever wanted that, like it was just to make us happy as well. So there's a guilt there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel that you forced your ma's hand on him not coming back? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Mm. Like if, you know, I mean it's not fair on me man Like it's a weird kind of feeling Because it's not fair on me man And she shouldn't have had to put up with that Like week in week out Or whatever it was Month in month out Or whatever it might have been Like it wasn't fair Like the solution wasn't let it, To let the cycle continue And it was a It's a hard thing to know What the solution is Like what Where is the fucking answer for this And He's just like going around Ugh oh, He's just going around town Like in, an embarrassment like you know what I mean it's what you would feel at the time and now looking back you're just like oh, what was the right thing to do and why why does it matter like you know what I mean it's not gonna mm. it's not gonna change anything do you know what I mean I find it weird when people do when people do like inquests into debts mm. obviously sometimes it's necessary a lot of the time it's necessary but I just feel like that's kind doing an inquest into a debt is kind of like me digging into my past. Like, what are you gonna get out of that? It's not gonna. Ch- it does. I don't feel like doing an inquest into a debt will will get you anything. Like, it's he's no. Like, if you do an inquest into a debt, like it doesn't change the fact that that person is gone. Like, mm. it's a it's a weird thing. Why am I saying that about the inquest? I think there was a point to it. I had to lose my trail of thought there. <laughs> That's okay. But it's just the fact that he, he, there, there was nothing. Like, unfortunately for him, he was prob- that was going to be the, the end of his life either way. Like, in that, maybe in that moment, if he's had it taken back in, but a few months later or a year later or anything like that. So it's, it's fucking horrific that you're holding on to that grif- guilt. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you and John talk about it now? Just have conversations over a pint about it. No, no, we don't talk really too much. Like, if uh, no, we talk. We uh, we talk about it. I think we talked about it once. It's a hard thing to talk about. It's hard to get emotional. Like, we're not a family that would be emotional with each other. That's why I'm saying like it's a weird kind of. It's a, it was a real tough upbringing. It's a real kind of a. a Dog for you of a a raisin. Would you tell each other you loved each other? No, no, Jesus, no. Would your ma tell you loved her? Huh? Would your ma tell you you tell your ma you love her? No. Would you know? No. See, I've had to learn that. To, I've had to, to do learn that to say that. To like. say that. Um, because so when I met Paul, his family were so fucking in love, it was too weird for me. Like mm. it was so weird. Mm. Because I'd come from this life that you know, as I said, it was just so crazy that no. So when I came in, I met this fella that danced on the night in the nightclub with his sister. Him and her like slow dancing, 
Like I was like, these are weirdos, like weirdos. Mm-hmm. But like Isma, like besotted and loved and loved, and they taught me how to love. And then I kind of then brought that home. Yeah. And like my youngest brother, like I'll always say to him, I love you. And now, Jer, the eldest brother who's with his alcohol is coming out of rehab saying, love you, sis. And he never did. But my man and dad now, we would say, I love you, I love you. My man would say, I love you, you know, that. And I said, I know you do. I know you love me. Yeah. So I know, I know my man loves me. Mm. And I know my ma loves everyone. Yeah. Uh, in the family. And I know everyone loves everyone in the family. But Jesus, dear, you'd never say it. <laughs> you'd never well, well, say why it. would you not say it? Because I'd be bleeding embarrassing, wouldn't it? It's like some things go unsaid. It's a weird, it's, you don't, it's, it's a very much, you don't show your emotion. My ma wouldn't even cry at a funeral. Like she didn't cry. My ma cried once at me. And I could see the pain in my ma. And she only cried uh, when they played Sweet 16. I mean, my dad's funeral. She's made a tough tough stuff she's like an old old boots she's yeah she's as tough as all leather and then in terms of grandchildren mm. so how many she have, does she have three um, i have two and then my brother has one so you've two what have you a boy and it two boys two right. boys two yeah. boys how old yeah. are you three oh four just one four and one right yeah so have you seen a difference there have you seen a different relationship there with your ma and them uh, yeah, I think they'd be physically more affectionate, like hugs mm. and kisses and stuff like that. Mm. And maybe she, I mean, she was probably affectionate with us as babies as well, but like, and and she'd say I love you and stuff to them as well. I think, that, yeah, no, definitely different to, but I'd be different to them as well. Like, I, I'm surprised at how much, not surprised, but I, I think it was kind of a conscious effort of me wanting to show more affection to yeah. To the kids and just let them know, let them feel safe by showing them love and affection. So you didn't feel safe then in your environment? No. There was an inconsist there was an inconsistency. Sometimes I felt safe and then sometimes I didn't feel safe. I felt my ma would always protect us, but like she shouldn't have to protect us. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? That, that's not a thing that should have to happen. Mm. And like she is scared. She's protecting us while she's Shaken and scared. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's a because mm. it is hard that, like, when we grow up and the way we grow up, that you want to break the cycle. Like for me, everyone was like, "Oh my god, me mash!" Like especially was like, "She's going to have pounding, it's a little depression if she has a girl. She's going to be like, she's not going to get on with the girl because we mad for our boys." Mm. And she'd made she, she for me it was like that. She didn't love me, but she loved the boys. Do you know mm. what I mean? So. She'd always say it like she's like I don't know what happened with you I don't know I don't know I don't know where it just I just deposed I think it was postnatal depression so yeah. everyone was like she's gonna have it so I made a conscious effort not to fucking have postnatal depression like but you can't do that yeah but I didn't because I absolutely love because Paul's family taught me love yeah do you know what I mean yeah yeah so yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. making a conscious effort not to repeat the cycle yeah. Yeah, and you don't know if, I don't know, like, you are making a conscious effort. And I think I think then, who knows what, like, maybe everyone's wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll say that you got showed too much love, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they become too soft, and then, yeah. that, then there's a, a danger in being hurt there. Like, there's no, I feel like there's no right or wrong 
answer. Or, do you know what I mean? I, so when I grew up, everything seemed normal. Yeah. And then it's only when you start your own family, you can say, well, hang on, that was fucking weird. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and then you kind of recognize things like, oh, you don't, that's, you don't fucking get pissed at a, a child's christening. That's weird. Because mm. like, I, that's what I thought was normal, was getting pissed at a child's christening or, or a communion or, or just getting pissed at any fucking, mm. so my, like my relationship with drink, I'm still, I'm, try, I'm currently in a, a point in my life where I'm trying to relearn my relationship with, with alcohol because it's uh, you need to drink as much as you can as quick as you can uh like you need to overindulge that's that's what my mentality was and still kind of is to a point and i i'm trying to relearn that because that's what i was taught growing up like do you know what i mean mm, mm. like if you went to a deb's free drink <gasps> let's see let's just drink as much as we can in this mm. space of time or if there's a free bar at a wedding mm. you're overindulging i don't know if that's a like I don't know if all of Ireland feels that way or if it's just like a, a working class thing or if it's, and I'm told because my wife is uh, posh and her family is posh mm-hmm. and they have open bars at their family events or whatever, but they'll have a glass of wine. They'll have maybe two glasses of wine and then that'll be it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm there itching. I'm like, he's not getting another one. It's free. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah, free. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's something about it being free that like you just want to take advantage of it, and there's just things that you you learn growing up that you realise then later on. That's not the way things are done. Is there stuff that you don't tolerate anymore? Like what? That's like in terms of? of like that. So for like me, as I said, like on the road and like a lot of my friends on the road and you'd say, oh, here's your dad, or here's my dad. And he'd be gone barking or at a communion. Like, and you'd be like, I'm not fucking tolerating you being drunk, a brother, an uncle, a br- my dad. You know what I mean? I just wouldn't tolerate it. I don't tolerate drinking anymore. See, I, I might be too tolerant. I think that might be an issue with me as well. Like I had a friend at the live show that the live show the mm. live podcast show that we don't aren't he was pissed and he was heckling oh fuck and he was a bit of, a bit of a nuisance not too much of a mm. nuisance mm. but and I, I just brushed her off i'm like okay whatever a few drinks whatever it's grand and then the missus says that's disgraceful you need to like that's that's horrific behavior you need to say something to him mm. and i'm like i don't know like just let it slide like you know what i mean he had a few drinks no harm, no foul, it's grand, don't worry about it. And I'd be like that all all the time, like I'd be really tolerant. See, I wouldn't tolerate you. Probably like your missus, I wouldn't. Yeah. Marie, isn't that her name? Moira. Moira, I'm calling your missus Moira. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tolerate you. Yeah. Because it's, I've, I've, I've fucking tolerated it all my life, like you know what I mean? But it's either like... Don't tolerate it. Like, what What do you mean you wouldn't tolerate it? What would you say? Like, what? You're not going to achieve anything by, I don't know, you're just going to upset the person by confronting them. I feel like that, that's a negative thing. I feel like they have their own demons to battle with and I feel like a confrontation is not the approach to take. Maybe there should be a more caring approach, but then nobody wants to be told, like, if I say, come here, maybe you need to kind of take a look at yourself and, and like, mm. get help and if you need some help, like, I can... I can help you, or, you know what I mean, we can, I'll help you through it. They're going to be like, get the fuck away. No, but like, in that, like in that moment, would you not be like, here, now shush you. 
At the show? Yeah. Ah, well, I was, yeah. I was showing it. You don't want to, I mean, as a performer, like, you don't want to draw too much attention to it because then that kind mm. of waves a checkered flag at them yeah. and then they, they just entices mm. them more to do it. Mm. So you're just going to give a little cheeky remark back and just kind of go on with the show. Mm. Um, look, it, it wouldn't interrupt me. If it was another, if it was a stranger, like, I, I dealt with him the same way as you deal with a stranger heckling. Mm. And it was grand. I thought it was grand, but, like, just, you may shouldn't be heckling you uh, yeah at your live show do you know what I mean yeah like exactly like you know mm. but it, for me like in saying that like I somebody I won't say that but somebody was coming to my live show and people were putting warnings on them you know don't fucking have a drink yeah don't have a drink yeah I'm telling you now don't fucking have a drink because mm. you'll be frog marched out the door yeah by me dad like me dad whoop get you out like do you know what I mean yeah 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 and um and I get it, like, you know what I mean? But I think that's where I am. Like, I'd be like, no, that person fucking won't start that night. Yeah. Won't start, because I'm telling you, that'll be the end. That'll be the end. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas I wouldn't be going down the route of, oh, you know, because I'm, I'm a little bit cold in the sense, like, going, would oh, you need help? Because you know, I'm here for you. I, I'm absolutely not here for you. Not that night. <laughs> Don't yeah, fuck well, up. Night, you exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not here for you. That's not done. Like anyone in that state is not in a headspace to be dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with anyway. Um, so that's not the time to address the situation. Can I ask you about when your dad passed? What was that like for you? That was hard as fuck. So, me dad, like, I'm, I'm saying that he was an alcoholic and there was issues with him with drink and the, with the family and everything like that growing up. But he gave up the drink then. And he was in AA and he gave her up for a good, I, I'm really bad with dates and times and all, but I think it was about eight years. So we was off the drink down for eight years, which was actually a weird dynamic down for me ma, because it was always me dad that was the problem drinker. And then when he gave her up, it just kind of put the spotlight on me ma mm. and her drinking mm. and her drinking habits. Mm. And they kind of were, um, what would you say, they were kind of enablers for mm. each other. But then when my dad went, nobody was enabling me ma, but she was still doing it. And it was, it was like, there was like a, I will fuck you, it, drinking in spite almost. Do you know what I mean? Um, but my dad then, he gave up the, the drink and then he started having uh, strokes. He had a disease where there was a protein in the blood that ate away slowly at the capillaries in his brain leading to loads of little tiny spot blades all over his head. And uh, he was in and out of hospital and like he'd be unconscious for a long time and then kind of come back and like he slowly, lo like when my dad gave up the drink, he started playing poker and that was his voice then, which was great because I love poker. I love mm. playing poker with him. We'd go to the casino and stuff together. But then when he had a stroke and he came out of it, uh, he lost the ability to count or like he didn't he you could look at 20 euro you'd know it's 20 euro mm. but like he wouldn't understand it's it was a weird thing like that was wrong like you could he, you could charge him if he went to buy a bottle of milk mm. and he gave you 20 euro and you give him back 10 cents mm. he'd be just like okay right and he, he wouldn't understand it and oh and driving as well driving was a big achievement for him and so he couldn't drive anymore. So to see him lose those two things was really hard. 
basically lost his independence by not being able to drive. So we kind of felt like a little bit of a hot, like a shell of a man, like his. And also, he got very tired, and all the other symptoms that you'd get with a stroke victim, and 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 confused a lot of the time, and uh, so it was upsetting. But like he was still, he was still there, he was still alive, and um, he was walk, he was able to walk to his apartment, and walk to my ma's house, and he was out by himself. But then, um, we he, then he had a stroke, and he was in hospital for. Uh, a long time he was in hospital for a long time and this was during covid no okay let me go back sorry so he had a stroke and then he was in hospital i think it was for like about a month or something and uh we couldn't get to see him because i think we got to see him once when he was in hospital that time because of covid that was that was obviously hard and then he got moved to a nursing home and we weren't able to go into the Norton home to see him. He was in there for about six months. And then he had another, while he was in the Norton home, he had a really bad stroke that put him, sent him back to, to hospital. And then he was in hospital for, I was in hospital in a coma for about a month. And then in the hospital they said, there's nothing more that we can do for him here. Like, we can't make him better. We can just, like, make him comfortable or whatever. So then they sent him back to the care home again where we couldn't see him. We couldn't see him this whole fucking time. Like, you know what I mean? When he was in the emergency department, like, they thought he was on his way out. So we were allowed in to see him then. But he, it was briefly. And then they sent him back to the care home and we weren't allowed to see him. I feel like the last time I seen him was like through a window and I just had Ollie and Marla was pregnant. Didn't just have Ollie, Ollie was about one, one and a half or two maybe and Marla was pregnant with Becky and uh, then that's when he went to the hospital. Now he's sent back to the nursing home and we're not able to go see him because we're in the, the height of the COVID lockdowns and stuff like that and they called us Mark called me at like I think it was like fucking one in the morning or something saying that he's he's gone and they're letting like two people in to see him and it was and we it was me and my ma because I had to pick my ma up and I was driving I could pick my ma up and bring her to see him as he was passing but and then I went in for like I was allowed in for half an hour and then my ma was allowed to stay there for the rest of the night with him and he I wasn't allowed, you weren't allowed to touch him. You had gloves on, you were gowned and face masks and all the rest and stuff like that. And you just wanted to go over and fucking hold his hand. Like, I'm sure he wasn't conscious of anything, but you just wanted to do anything that I was, that you could to make his transition a little bit more comfortable. Mm. If I mean, Which is probably just a self-comforting thing, but... Um, yeah, then he then he passed. It was uh, it was hard. I see he was only sixty one. He was only young. He was so um, he was just a he felt like a a good friend, you know. That you just have a laugh with. And in the end, like you know, when he was when he was off the drink, it was great. 
and we had some although there's a lot of shit memories that I need to walk through mm. <laughs> uh, he he also gave us some really great memories he's so funny and I, everything that I'm doing now was actually to impress him because I remember when I was doing school plays and stuff he'd kind of laugh at me and I'd almost, I'd almost want to succeed to spite him to mm. spite me that uh, like even when I, I made a short film ages ago like I was a teenager a young teenager and I made a short film and I got accepted to a film festival and it was a big deal for us and uh, Mark O'Halloran was a judge at the film festival and stuff and we won best film or whatever the fuck it was it was years ago mm. and, I, and I was like oh we won best film and then my dad was like oh yeah well done Steven Spielberg and I'm like oh for fuck's sake like you know what I mean mm. but I still I just wanted to fucking mm. do something to, mm. to, to make him proud and I'm sure he was always proud. I'm sure Mm. he was always proud. But it's just, you know, kind of, it's just, he's just messing, just jesting and just making me brothers laugh. Like, you know, making, like John, when John and him were together, they just have, take the piss out of me and just have a laugh. And yeah, no, he was, he was great. He was a great man. And did he ever apologize when he wasn't drinking for his drinking? Um, not to no. There was no declaration of. Was it like a, I'm sorry, son? No. Like a, nothing like that. No. Again, like we're not that kind of we're not a, an intimate, emotional, emotionally mm. intimate, intimate family. But he he was in his own way, like to himself, he was he was uh, apologetic, and he went he went to the AA, and that really makes you look at yourself and and recognize all of your. In, you know your problems and that was good for him do you know that he was sorry um yeah 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 i i, I think i think so i think i think so i mean he wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, we might be the first person to tell you that. Mm. Like they went through hell together. Uh but I think he recognises um his faults through alcohol. Like I don't think he, he's a bad person. I think people do bad things mm. on alcohol. Mm. I think he has sorry. I think he has a go- a good heart. Had a good heart. Um, but yeah, no, it was a. That's a, that's how it was for, for when he passed. And then, the funeral was weird because there was only what twelve people allowed yeah. into the church at the time. But like uh, our family are, they were just like, oh fuck this, we're bleeding going inside, you know. And he just barged into the church, mm-hmm. and the priest was like, oh Jesus, Jesus Christ, <laughs> <laughs> the guards are gonna shut us down. <laughs> But it was nice. That was a nice sense of community. That was a nice. That's the thing about funerals, isn't it? You, it's it's you really do feel a common history with with somebody, especially family like cousins and stuff that you don't that you might have lost touch with over the years. Now it always brings you back and kind of reconnects you with with your with your history, with your past, with your family. Kind of grounds you. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah, mm. definitely. 
And then can I ask you, like, when did you realise you were funny? Excuse me. <laughs> <coughs> when did you realise you were funny? Or do you think you're funny? I don't think I'm funny. Mm. I don't think I'm funny. I think I think I know what I think I know what funny is, mm. and I think I know what's funny, but I don't think I'm particularly funny. I think I'm a miserable bone bag. If anything, I think my wife is funny. I think John is funny. I think he's fucking hilarious. I so much funnier than me. I, like there's so many people that I know that are far funnier than me that should be doing probably what I'm doing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, but I I think. I have the technical abilities to create something that's funny. Like I have, uh, like kind of a filmmaking background and mm. script writing, and I know what works on social media, and I know what works in different mediums for different mediums, and it's just weird me being the like when I started making sketches. Was sketches it was I was supposed to be behind the camera, and I wanted me mate David, who was in the wind up merchants. I mm. wanted him to be the fucking star because he's so funny any video he's in he's, he just fucking kills it because um, he's so funny naturally mm. he, he, like effort you know when you just meet someone and they're just effortlessly funny mm. so that's him and but like he didn't see a, pot- a career potential in it and he wanted to focus more on just kind of doing his normal job and and I wanted to kind of go off and do other things so I kind of took a bit of a distance from the wind-up merchants to do my own, to pursue my own, uh, building myself as a brand, as mm. opposed to the wind-up merchants or David, mm. which is unfortunate because I think David's so funny, such a waste of talent. But there's loads of people that are funnier than than me. Do you think you deserve your success? I don't think I'm successful. Do you know? <laughs> no, no. I think it's weird when people kind of say something like that or it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, do you think you deserve to be where you are today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think things can be seen from a certain perspective. And you can see somebody, we talked before we started talking mm. about the podcast and you kind of see other people's success and you, you kind of want that and you're like, ah, shit. Like mm. that's that's what I why the fuck did yeah, I, have I that? Do, and yeah, I want that. Yeah. And then like but you don't see the lulls, like there's something that's not going on. Like I have I had I, I free gaff, so free gaff season one, the sketch out that mm. I have. You make that and then it's made and then you're not doing that for a long time. Mm. But people see the sketch out and they're like, Oh fuck. Like mm. but in my day to day life, like not a lot has changed. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm. But people see this thing that you created and they're like oh fucking he's doing well for himself isn't mm. he yeah and that's something that i said last week so i said to you that i work on a cruise ship mm. i work for a cruise line and i was on a cruise ship last week with michael ball you know michael ball the singer yeah oh fucking amazing nice. amazing week yeah <laughs> so i was like sitting here moaning about my feet because like i, I walked my arse run my arse off on the ship like you know the demands are unbelievable but I was getting messed to say I'm well for some, well for some, well for some. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. was like, not fucking well for some. I'm 15 years. I worked from here to get to there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids are at home. Fucking missed them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, so it's not well for some. Mm. But people just see 
oh, she's on, a, and then pretend the next photo. So I'm in the bed moaning, next photo, I put a, a photo of like 50 glasses of champagne and a barman making me cocktails. And he's ringing me going, is there something fuck around with you? And I was like, well, that's how I roll. I'm having a moan about my feet one minute. And then the next minute, yeah, it is so glamorous. But yeah, yeah. It, people don't realise that I get into bed at two o'clock in the morning after making sure an artist is happy and has everything. And then I'm up at seven o'clock in the morning, well, six, and for a seven o'clock meeting with the team. Yeah. Like, so, Yeah. That's the weird thing about social media, though, isn't it? Like, mm. it'll just piss... It's almost designed just to piss people off. Yeah. Like, the only thing that I like to... Well, not so much me anymore, because it's more promotional shit that I use social media for, but the missus, all she does is put up stories and pictures of how shit our life is, like, and, and the things that are going wrong. Because mm. I feel like people are kind of like, ah, yeah, that's that. I like seeing people not succeeding. That's mm. what I want. Yeah. I want some of that. Uh some of that fucking content. Because <laughs> we are a nation of begrudges. And that's we it. Just, we just want, like, that's it. how dare you yeah. be successful? So when you're talking about, like, deserving success, like, somebody might look at me and be like, I'm fucking funny at name. Like, why the fuck does he have all yeah. that shit? And it's like, it's not, sometimes it's not about, like, being funny. It's about just putting the hard work in and grafting. Mm. And I think hard work is more, there's footballers that play for top football teams. And there's far more talented footballers out there, but they're probably hard at working. Mm. And they'll go to fucking train, they'll show up to training every day, they'll eat their diet, they'll do everything that they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why they are where they are. It's mm-hmm. not because I'm naturally gifted footballers, it's mm-hmm. just because they put the, the hard work in. And that pays off a lot, I think hard work pays off a lot more than natural talent. And that's where, like, where I am, like, and that's why I was having a moan at you earlier on when we first came in. Like, I'm like, look at this, look at this setup, look what we've done. Like, you know, this is an independent f- fucking podcast sold yeah, out yeah. the Helix. And I'm like, but then you see others not getting stuff handed to them because I know you have to have a personality and I know you have to have shit like to, but it does. And like, I'm not an envious person and I'm not a jealous person. I'm just, as you said, like, it's it's probably FOMO. Fom- yeah, that's all it is, FOMO, yeah. That I'm like, look at us, look at your setup, it's amazing. Yeah. Why aren't people seeing that? Yeah. But they are, because I know they are, because my listenership is really good and I yeah, have really yeah. loyal listeners. But yeah, so I know that night in September, the podcast awards, do you want to give a show for a vote for the L podcast awards? Yeah, jeez. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're up for, uh, do you know what, the podcast awards, uh, It's it's a weird one because like, we're voted. We're we're in the category for best newcomer. And I feel right. like we've been around a year. I don't know what like what the statute yeah. of limitations for a newcomer yeah. is. Yeah. So it's all arbitrary stuff. So I wouldn't even be too. Uh, but we're up for um, listener choice awards, and I was like, wouldn't be fucking gas because I know that there's podcasts out there that have huge listeners, way bigger listenership mm-hmm. than than we have, and I think it would be gas if we picked up. The listener choice awards so the way you can do it is by going onto the irish podcast awards website and just go to vote and type in style and give us a little vote there and <laughs> i was saying that if we do win it we'll go up dressed up as harry harry and lloyd from uh dumb and dumber we'll, we'll just go up in a fucking anorak like two kids in an anorak we'll do that like i'll get on darling shoulders <laughs> and we'll uh, accept the awards and just i don't know do something stupid we'll just make it a little bit memorable like yeah and that's why like i was saying i just I don't know, but he's, he handed me the thing, said, fill that out, and I didn't. So, yeah, I'll have, that night I'll probably have to be out of the country. Because that'll eat, I mean, he just <laughs> told me everyone to go will over. Be, everyone will be posting about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and I'd be like, fuckers. Yeah. And then, why did they win? I'd be like, raging. <laughs> and then I like, think about it so much, and he's like, what is wrong with you? Stop. Yeah. He's like, stop. Yeah. So I do get in my head and shit like that, but I shouldn't. Uh, it happens to everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And like even even for shit that you're not involved in, like mm. I look at 
fucking singers and the, the, I'm like, oh, I could do that. Like, <laughs> I could sing that song. But you just always kind of, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing that we all have. It's a jealousy. I think we're jealous animals. Mm. We're animals that have a line of jealousy in us that, uh, like you said, we're a nation of big cultures as well. So to see someone else succeed and where you feel like you should be succeeding as well, yeah. like, you know. Because yeah. um, you put the hard graft in. That's it. You know what I mean? That's it. Put yeah. it in, and I'm not getting. I am getting it back. I know. Yeah, I, I get it, but, like, but that's it. You don't. You don't appreciate. Some sometimes you don't appreciate what you have, and you want what the other. It's the grass is always greener yeah. on the other side. I think. Yeah, and I'm learning to like as I said with the helix, like selling that. It was just like for me, amazing, amazing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And think yeah. so. What for you will success look like? I don't think so. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know because I think it's such a gradual process that you don't realise. It's not like a place that you can just arrive at and just be like, ah, I'm mm. here now. I've, I've arrived at the station of success. Like, mm. it, I think it's just fucking, you're just constantly, constantly plugging away. Um, I, like, it's a, I was talking to an entrepreneur and he has loads of money. And I'm like, when, when will you have enough money? Mm-hmm. And he's like, never. I'll never have enough money. Like his mentality is just, you keep going. Like you don't do it because there's a target. You do it because you just keep going. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a plate. I'm really happy that, like part, part of why I had a mental breakdown was because I hated my job as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in five years doing shift work, like night shifts and day shifts, swapping back and forth. Hated that. Then I got a job with a betting company. Hate, hated that. And that was walking from home and I was drawing COVID and all the shit was going on. My head was bleeding, melted. I was in a bleeding. It's in a horrible state. So I packed that job in and said, fucking, I'm just going to bleed and focus on doing this stuff full time. And uh, it paid off. And now I'm doing the podcast and I have the, the sketch show and I'm doing some whatever brand deals on Instagram. And then I've, I'm doing a bit of writing for other agencies on the side. And I have enough of an income coming in now where I'm satisfied and I'm comfortable and I'm like oh do you know what this is grand and after this is just a bonus so you're content in your life yeah. right now yeah mm. I'm not actually content but I, I can say that I'm content like mm. I do want to achieve more there's things that I want to achieve that like I want to make a film I want to make a, a TV series I want to maybe get a sketch show on TV instead of on the player like I'd like yeah. to do Free Gaff maybe season 3 on TV I'd like to do a sitcom for TV and I'd like to do a film I'd like to win some awards. I'd like to do a bit more serious acting, get some serious roles, uh, and work with some interesting people and some directors. And yeah, now I have more things that I want to achieve before I can say that I'm content. Mm-hmm. And then again, like I said, it happens so gradually that you don't realize it happening. Mm-hmm. It's only when you take a moment and, and look at yourself, look at yourself like five, ten years ago. Do you know what I've done? I was stressed out to bits about doing the live show last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I thought back to like 2006 when I got a computer for the first time. And I was like, yes, I can edit me silly little videos for YouTube now. But I used to just go onto YouTube and just listen to videos. And I'd just be sitting at the edge of my bunk bed. So it was like three beds in that room. And I'd be sitting at the edge of my bunk bed. And I'd be just listening, looking at YouTube, listening to songs. And I'd... And I just, I was in the room and I was just thinking and I was looking at that young flat and I was saying, if you could go into that room and say to him where you are now, mm-hmm. like he'd fucking, 
lose a shit. Be like, who are you? <laughs> no, he would lose. He would actually lose his shit. Be like, oh my god, what the fuck? You have a show on RTA. You have this, that, and the other. And you'd be like, that's insane. That's that's incredible. So you need to kind of. It's all about perspective, and where you're kind of seeing your success from. Like, yeah, like this podcast. Instead of looking at other people's podcasts, you could go back and look at the first episode of this podcast mm. and say to that person, "Where are you gonna be?" right now and I'm sure in two years time that person will be looking back at this moment saying oh my god you look you had John McCook yeah. and look at you yeah <laughs> like it's it's a uh, it it's is. all about perspective mm, it is I I don't I always thought that I was going to do something I always thought so did you not think that like I like had my day job and all, but I always knew I was going to do something else yeah, I did. I, I I always wanted to. I mean, I was always trying to push the lads. I'm always trying to push somebody else. Like I'm, I'm never put myself forward, but I am always trying to push other people. Like I was trying to push my mates before we were doing the wind up merchants. Long before that, I was trying to get them to make a short film, and we entered into a film festival, and we entered into an American film festival. Like we have the potential to make something, and they're like. What are you gonna make a film? Nobody takes it seriously. Mm. Nobody takes when you say something like that. Like nobody takes it seriously, especially at that age when you're fucking sixteen or seventeen. But I always knew that there was potential to create stuff. Like there's a there's not a lot of people doing it. Mm. Like you know what I mean? At a, mm. a decent level, there's a few people, a few people that you'd admire at the time. Like Marco Halloran would have been a an idol of mine. He still mm. is. He's an amazing writer. Um. But I always knew that there was potential to make something, and that's why. That's yeah. So I did think that I was gonna do something. Talk to me just briefly before I let you go about family, your family, your immediate the, the babies and Myra. Mm. What do you want me to say? Just talk to me about like like how how do you feel about like in that like you know what I mean? And are you safe in that environment? That's like everything. Everything that I do outside of my family can fuck off. Because that's the only thing that's important. Like, if I'm having a fight with Marla, she's like, oh, you're fucking busy doing your podcast, and you're busy doing this, doing that. And I'm like, well, then fuck all that shit. I honestly don't give a shit about any of that stuff. It's all external stuff that's going on. I love it. I love doing it. But, like, fuck all that. If you're not happy, if I'm not happy, if the kids aren't happy, if we're not happy, then I won't do that. Like, I, I will completely throw that in the bin because this is the main this is the main priority here, is making this work. And it's the, the most important thing to me. A family in general, uh, the wider, the wider. As, so Moira comes from, like, Moira's parents are Irish, but they moved to America. And they live in Atlanta now. Her brother lives in Texas. Her other brother lives in Washington State. And our sister lives in Spain. And they're all over the place. And I feel like she, her, what family is to her is completely different to what family is to me. And I think she's kind of realising like, oh shit, yeah, hang on. Family is, it is important to be together. Like mm. it's it's so important to be together because some shit all happened over the last few years and and it's like you kind of realise, oh, why do I not have my family here? So our brother then moved, is at the moving back uh, to Ireland her sister moved from Spain back to Ireland and our parents will be moving back to Ireland. So it's going to be so nice to have all them together. But like the for me, even cousins, like I, I 
Christmas was so special to me because all family got together and we were all together and it, it's that sense of community like family is just a community and that's that's what family gives you that you can't move away from it's that sense of community mm. like what we were saying if you go to a funeral that community just comes back together and you all fall back into the roles of what you naturally are as a family and i think it's very important okay. because this shit will will stop mm. like i like i i don't think anything lasts forever mm. maybe i lose interest maybe i don't want to maybe i fall out with darren i don't want to do a podcast i don't want to do a sketch show i don't care about social media I'll, I'll scrap that in the bin there was a moment for me that was huge i was doing stand-up comedy for a while and when we had oliver he and he was born he was like brain dead and he was killed <clears throat> and he was in like a he was going through a killing treatment for uh, a couple of weeks and then and it was hugely traumatic for me and for Marla but at that same time there was the Vodafone Comedy Festival the Vodafone Comedy Festival was happening that weekend and I wanted more than anything to play the Vodafone Comedy Festival but I knew I couldn't that year and I was like oh, I'll play it next year but I knew I couldn't that year because we were having a baby that weekend. So I says, I'll play next year. But then when everything happened with Oliver and reality, it's like reality tour. Like, fuck that comedy f- festival. Like, And I had to, like, we were staying in Jordy's Inn because Maura was pumping milk and then I was bringing her over to the, to the to hospital to try put it into Oliver's mouth and stuff. And it was back and forth. And we went past a building that was being built and there was a big billboard of the comedy festival on it. Every time I walked past, it was like, that is so pointless. Everything seems pointless when, when shit goes wrong with family. Even when you fight, like that, it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience like mm. mine, but even when you fight with family, it's like, fuck all of this. Like, f- none of this bleed matters. So without family, does you have nothing. Without family, you have nothing else, I think. How's Oliver today? Perfect. He's so nice. He's such a nice, nice kid. And he's well able. And he's so smart and so articulate for a young fella's age. And so friendly and gentle. And he always was. And he... Who does he take after? I don't... I I think me. I think I was always a sensitive, sensitive kid. And I think he's very sensitive. Mm. And Beckett... My youngest is completely different. I think when you have a second kid, it really shatters the illusion that you yeah. have an impression on, on what your kid is going to turn out to be. Mm. Mm. Because they couldn't be any more different as, mm. as human beings. Mm. Yeah. It's mad. Well, Joe, on that note, we leave it to Will we? Yeah, we will. Is that okay? Yeah, see, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You don't need to do that because it's fucking perfect. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 